Okay, so live stream. Um, what? Oh, um, producer Brian is slightly off screen doing all the tech stuff and making sure everything is good. And um, Bascot Sneakle is curious about what's going on. So, um, so yeah, so we are. What are you doing, honey? Sorry. So, we are going to be talking about the. Um, six queens of henry the eighth today uh, i watched a new documentary last night and they made a point of saying queens instead of wives and i was a really big fan of that what's wrong you're good okay um and so i'm gonna try and do that as well um now the other thing that we're gonna be trying to do uh is we're gonna be making this like a kind of like a game of taboo uh, Smeagol! <laughs> um, uh, so, Smeagol, honey. We're very excited. Um, so, what we're going to be doing is playing like a little game of taboo, where I'm going to be trying to not say uh, Henry. Um, because I want to try and focus more on the queens and it's really easy to uh, lose sight of that and start talking about Henry because he is honestly just like super fascinating um, so uh, I am going to start with the necessary exposition about Henry first though um, but before that um, <laughs> sorry my dog is being really ridiculous slightly off camera um, She'll be on camera at some point, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, so um, I'm gonna try and do this regularly. Um, right now I'm thinking like every other Monday, uh, maybe every Monday. Um, we are gonna be going and seeing Six on Saturday and so I'm probably gonna be doing a follow-up episode uh, a week from today. Um, but for this episode, what I wanna do is go through the lyrics, which I actually need open and the thing, if you don't mind. Can you go to Genius Lyrics? Um, so I'm going to be going through the lyrics and um, without giving any spoilers that you can't uh, find in the lyrics themselves, so like anything that happens in the show outside of what they say on the album, um, I'm not going to be talking about. Uh, mostly because I haven't seen it yet, uh, because uh, the world ended before I could get to see it on Broadway. Um, so I'm really, really excited for Saturday. But, um, but yeah, so uh, let me kind of give a little refresher on... Uh, um, hi, Holly. <laughs> Is that Holly? Yeah, hi, Holly. Um, so let me give a little refresher on Henry VIII. Um, so one of the things that you really need to know about him is that he was not meant to be king. He was, uh, the second son. So his plan was actually to join the church at some point. He was studying the Bible extremely, <laughs> that, I don't know if that carried. <laughs> no? Okay. Um, 
the uh, he studied the Bible extremely extensively. He was studying to join the church because he his older brother Arthur was going to be king, um, and so because of that, Arthur was the one who's being trained all closely and carefully, um, and. Henry kind of just got to do whatever it you kind of see it in the relationship between Willie, William and Harry um, not today but you know when they were teenagers and 20 uh, somethings um, so yeah so Henry just kind of got to do whatever he wanted and um, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about him is that when he was young he was actually super hot um, like everyone talked about how attractive he was about how handsome the prince was and then how handsome the young king was um, he was like 6'4 in a time where like 5'10 was considered really tall um, he was also muscular because he was super athletic um, and uh, he was just a total dreamboat apparently um, and uh, so yeah so he was very charming um up until a certain point which we will get to um and uh when his brother was 15 i think um he married catherine of aragon so the brother did not henry um and then about five months into that marriage um he died from what was called sweating sickness it was something that existed at the time and we don't know exactly what it was it just kind of disappeared one day but before that um, it was like a plague that would just show up and it could um, like wipe out whole villages like people would wake up and be totally fine but then they'd be dead before dinner because all of a sudden they'd start feeling bad and then a couple hours later they'd be dead um, and it was called the sweating sickness because obviously people sweat a lot um, so Arthur caught that and he died. And so all of a sudden Henry was uh, pushed into being the heir to the throne unexpectedly. And that was definitely a big, um, a big shock for him and a giant transition as well. Uh, and he needed to find someone to marry now because now he, uh, no wait, sorry. I got ahead of myself sorry so when arthur died henry was like 11 or something and uh he was basically put in seclusion um because his dad got so paranoid that uh something would happen to him and then there would be no heir and um like his dad was super obsessive about this because uh the um sorry um because his dad was the had won his crown on the battlefield. Um, he so it was a very 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 fresh uh, dynasty, as it were. Uh, so he was only the second generation, um, and so that's why later on he was so obsessed with it because he had major daddy issues because his dad had a lot of issues, and so um, yeah. So Henry was raised with this fear of like dying before producing an heir um, and they decided that he should marry Catherine. Um, they got a special dispensation from the Pope because she had been married to his older brother um, 
and they then like uh, negotiations started. Uh, Catherine was the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella, um, as in the ones who sent Christopher Columbus off. Uh, don't hold that against them though, because they were pretty cool, and the the atmosphere that she was raised in was super feminist, and um, she was raised to believe she was raised to believe that like she could do anything and women could do anything that men could do um and really definitely lived that out in her life um I some water, so i'm gonna do that are there any questions while i drink some water okay cool so um does that mean no all right so I think that that sets it up fairly well for the beginning. Um, so if you haven't listened to the cast recording, um, I cannot play... Um, oh, thank you, Atomic Elbow. That's so sweet. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you, Javi. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so I would recommend listening along if you want. I can't play it along because Twitch is really um, big on the whole uh, um, copyright stuff, um, and I don't want to get kicked off. So uh, we don't have to show the lyrics on screen. Okay. So, um, but uh, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be going through the lyrics. Oh no, no, no! I need the lyrics. Oh. Um. We're going to be going through the lyrics uh, for the musical six um, because it is really interesting um, what they do and how they tell the story and everything. And uh, I would really like to elaborate on some of the concepts and I'd like to correct some of the misrepresentations, let's say. Um, and I think that the musical is a really good way of doing that. And also I can like explain any jokes that you might not get. Um, if you're not a giant tutor's nerd. Um, so we're going to start with the first song. So, okay. Nope, that's not it. Am I in charge or are you in charge? Okay. Uh, six. All right. Nope, nope. That's the finale. Just kidding. It's ex-wives. I don't pay attention to the titles of the songs, sorry. Alright. So, um, there is a rhyme that lots of people are taught in order to remember the different wives um, and what happened to them, the different queens and what happened to them, excuse me. Um, so, uh, the way that it is usually done is Catherine, the first Catherine, because there's three of them, Catherine of Aragon, uh, she was divorced, then Jane Boleyn uh, beheaded, Jane, or did I say Jane Boleyn? Anne Boleyn beheaded, Jane Seymour died in childbirth, Anne of Cleves divorced, then uh, Catherine Howard beheaded, and then Catherine Parr survived. So divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Um, and that is a big motif here, and they talk about how much they hate being known by that. 
Um, and so one of the cool things about the musical is that each wife is kind of assigned a different musical style based on different uh, contemporary music artists. Um, and so I'm going to read the descriptions that Genius Lyrics gives um, just so that... Uh, oh, are they not there? Okay, um, that's weird, because it's normally that their names are highlighted, so that I can, like, click on it. Okay, so they do exist, it's just weird. Alright, here we go. Found it. Catherine of Aragon. Um... In the musical, Catherine is based on many artists, most prominently Beyonce and Shakira. Both are known as graceful, intellectual feminist women, very fitting for a queen like Catherine. None of them will succumb to petty drama. They are above that. They will end you without you even realizing it. Um, so she's mostly Beyonce and Shakira. There's also some J-Lo in there, um, which I think is pretty fantastic that they added a lot of like Latin influences. Um, and I just realized that I totally forgot to say what the um, uh, like premise of my podcast is. Uh, basically, I am working on the tagline. What I've got so far is the only unscripted history podcast. And if you know of another one, please don't tell me because I like feeling special. So everything that I'm saying, unless I say that I'm reading it, is just in my brain. Like, I'm not reading off of notes. Um, it's just in my head. So... Uh, that is uh, what's going on there. All right, so now I'm going back to the lyrics. Uh, okay, so now Anne Boleyn. Uh, Anne Boleyn, the second wife, is modeled after bratty girl type pop stars like Lily Allen, Avril Lavigne, and Pink. Uh, this model suits Anne's historical reputation for being vivacious and sharp-tongued. Um, then Jane Seymour is modeled after diva with a big voice pop stars like Adele, um, Sia? Sia? Sia. Mm, I've never said that out loud. Uh, Christina Aguilera, Mariah Carey, and Celine Dion. Um, and then Anna of Cleves is modeled after pop stars with an unconventional look and or a controversial sense of fashion like Rihanna, Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj, and Madonna. Um... Then Catherine Howard is very clearly modeled after Ariana Grande. Like, physically, you can see it. Um, so it's after sexy girl pop stars like Ariana and Britney Spears. Um, and then the last one is Catherine Parr. Uh, is modeled after soul fu soul fu Wow. Wow. Soulful musician type pop stars like Alicia Keys, Amelie Sande, and Janelle Monáe. Um... Do I not get to look? Oh, uh, Atomic Elbow. Just wanted to say I watched the British TV series The Tudors and loved it. Oh my gosh. I'm a little bit obsessed with uh, that show. Not going to lie. Um, I have a lot of strong feelings about different things that are portrayed. How, um, But in general, my favorite thing about it is how overall historically accurate it is. Because um, that's super rare. Like if you've ever watched the show Rain. Um, hmm. No, no, but 
the tutors does a pretty good job. Uh, I'm I like watching it. It makes me happy. Um, so we are going to start at the beginning. So, uh, do, do, do. Okay. So they're doing the rhyme that I just talked about what the white, uh, what the different Queens are. Um, and they have some fantastic puns going on. So, um, I'm going to try to not be like dissecting the lyrics and mostly going with just the history. Um, but, uh, the, um, crap, I just lost my train of thought. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> so, uh, I'm sure there are several influences that challenge the true history. Yes, definitely. Um, and I'm definitely going to be getting into some of those things here. Um, because, like, I have very strong opinions. <laughs> um, all right. So I don't really want to be like a... Um, why don't you just leave it up there? Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't really want to be, like, going literally line by line and being like, let me talk about the song itself. I want to be going over the history. And then when there's good wordplay, though, that I have to bring up. Um, so... The obvious one is the Histo remix, which I love because um, it's the history remix. Fantastic. Um, switching up the flow as we add the prefix is a reference to the X in ex-wives. Um, and then... So what they're saying at the beginning here is all you ever hear and read about is our ex and the way it ended. Um, and the thing is that all of these women are incredible incredibly badass in their own different ways. Um, I love reading about them, especially Anne Boleyn. It's going to get really intense when I get to her. Um, but uh, it's just constant, uh, like, how much people just overlook who they were and focus instead on their relationship with the king, because at this point I'm not saying his name anymore. Um, so... Uh, this show is really about looking past that and looking into who they were as people. Um. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Um, it's our ex and the way it ended. Uh, we're going to do ourselves justice because we're taking you to court, which is great because court um, means like royal court as well, obviously. Um, so next mentioned by Catherine Parr's every Tudor rose has its thorns um and so that has really interesting history behind it so the Tudor rose is a very specific rose um that was formed after the war of the roses completed um and it was called that because the two houses that were fighting had different um rose emblems that they used for their houses um there was a red one and a white one um and what the Tudors did is that they took um, the red rose and the white rose and they overlaid them and it became the Tudor rose. Um, and uh, if anyone is really familiar with Scottish history, they'll be familiar with the Stuart white rose. Um, it's a pretty big uh, theme in Outlander. Um, if anyone else is a giant Outlander nerd. Um, all right. So now we scroll down. Do, do, do. All right. So 
Uh, everybody knows that we used to be six wives. Dancing to the beat till the break of day. Once we're done, we'll start again like it's the Renaissance, which is fantastic because um, this was like right around that time. It was right after that time, right around that time. Um, so, Catherine. I already started going over Catherine of Aragon. Um, what she says here is that she was married 24 years. I'm a paragon of royalty. So she's a paragon of royalty because she is royal on her own. Um, none of the other queens have that claim. Um, she was born a princess and then became a queen when she married Henry. Or, ooh, I said it. Oh, no. Uh, when she married the king, when she became the queen, there we go. That's it. Um, so she is also the one who had the longest marriage by a very, very long shot. Uh, they were actually happily married, um, 19 years. Uh, and then things went really wrong for the last five years. Uh, but, um, yeah. And then it says, uh, my loyalty is to the Vatican. So she was super 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 hardcore catholic like she was absolutely devout um one of the ways that they tried to convince her to leave the marriage was by being like you could join a nunnery uh and she said no obviously but um they tried um so next is Anne Boleyn and her first line uh is I'm that Boleyn girl which is a reference to the other Boleyn girl um that title is a reference to Anne Boleyn's sister, Mary Boleyn. And that movie, that movie, um, I listened to a panel discussion of a bunch of like Tudor historians. And at the end, um, the host asked like, what is, what are Tudor things like something that you really, really love? like Tudor entertainment wise and something that like really got it wrong and you can't stand every single person on the panel said the other Boleyn girl um it's it's really really bad I like to say that it makes Disney's Pocahontas look like a uh, intense documentary like sting like that's how bad it is uh and it makes me upset enough that I might eventually wind up doing an episode where I force myself to rewatch it and do a commentary track um, if you are new, I've done commentary tracks for several different historical movies. The most recent one I did was Titanic, um, where you can just sync it up as you watch the movie and uh, listen to me talking about the history and stuff. Um, so, uh, so I'm that Boleyn girl, and I'm up next. Uh, I broke England from the church, yet yeah, I'm that sexy. Um, gosh, okay. I just finished a biography about Anne Boleyn that absolutely blew my mind. Um, I've read many biographies about all of these women, and this is un this one was unlike any history book I'd ever read, not just like Tudor history book. Um, like she covered things like consent and how the king is a total sociopath and narcissist. Um, and if you've ever dealt with a sociopath and or narcissist. Um, he's pretty much textbook it's like his behavior is very familiar to anyone who um has ever like uh, interacted closely with anyone who falls under that category <laughs> okay i don't know if that got picked up but that's um 
Smeagol. Uh, my dog is Smeagol, and she likes to guard random things, and I, I call that Gollum mode. And so she's in Gollum mode. <laughs> so she's fine. This is just the sounds that she makes. They're very ferocious. <laughs> My other roommate came out to check because she's listening in her room. <laughs> All right, are we calm now? Yeah, here. Hey, 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 come here. This is Smeagol. Smeagol, say hi. She wants to, she's guarding a box. She likes to guard random objects. Um, and today it's a box. Oh, it's a soda bottle. That's what it is. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hand you over. There we go. So, that's what I'm being distracted by. <laughs> Slightly off screen. All right. So I read this biography about Anne Boleyn. Um, is this just going to keep on happening? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 We're good. We're good. Uh, thank you, Joe. Yes, uh, Smeagol is very much a queen. Um, an atomic elbow. I'm sure Smeagol would say hi back if she wasn't slightly busy. Um, okay, we're good. All right, so I read this biography. It's called Anne Boleyn, uh, 500 Years of Lies. And um, the thing with Anne Boleyn is that after she died, there was a massive propaganda campaign, um, like huge smear campaign against her. Um, and it basically, like, I'm going to go into it when we get to her song, but um, she did not break England from the church because she was that sexy. <laughs> there was a lot more to it than that. Um, and uh, we're going to get into it when we get to her song. So, why did I lose my head? Well, my sleeves would be green, but my lipstick's red. Um, so, the if you were here for the countdown before um, the show started, uh, the remix of Green Sleeves was playing. Because uh, it's not true, but a lot of people think that Green Sleeves was written by the king for Anne Boleyn when he was trying to woo her. Um, and uh, that's not true. It's apparently like the type of music that the song was based on didn't reach England until like significantly after that. But enough people believe that that's true. Uh, and the musical has like a fun little funky remix of it right after Anne Boleyn's uh, verse as well, which is fun. All right. So now, Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour. All right. So the book that I read, basically, the author went to the original primary sources, which is not something that many historians do, unfortunately. They tend to go off of the um, second uh, the uh, source, like secondary sources. Um, so it's someone who saw it and then wrote it down or what like or, you know, saw the book, the original book, and then wrote down their impressions on the book of the book. Um, Whereas Haley Nolan, who wrote this book, is uh, not just reading the book about the book. Book. I'm just going to say it one more time there. Uh, she's actually reading the original book. And that means things like... Um, 
the uh, there's a um, a poem that was written by a uh, French um, ambassador person who was visiting the court right around the time of Anne Boleyn's execution um, and wrote this like epic poem about it because I guess he was just like dramatic that way um, and he said something about how like people will pay more attention if it's written this way um, but uh, it was translated a long time ago like shortly after it was written basically and uh, no one really bothered to do it again and what this woman did not Haley Nolan another woman whose name I can't remember I'm blanking on but I'll try and remember to put a link in the description um, she went back to the original source and retranslated it and as she was going through she found like at least a dozen probably more lines that were never um, translated and published uh, because they were censored because uh, they didn't want people to think good things about Anne Boleyn and the poem said things like how after watching how she died people realized like wow we really messed up she was actually really good and prudent and um, like lived a good life because she really really did um, and uh, so lines like that were removed and so people don't know how the contemporary people of Anne Boleyn's time actually felt about her because most of what we know is based off of propaganda sources um, and so what we think we know about Anne Boleyn is that she was this like um, scheming seductress um, like plotting with her family on how to best seduce the king and how to become queen and all this um, when really like if you look into the story, it's things like um, when he started going after her, uh, if you're familiar with sociopaths, you are familiar with the way that they will aggressively pursue a person or a thing that they want until they get it. And then they'll just kind of like eventually like quickly lose interest and drop it. Um, and that's what this was a case of. Um, so... So, uh, Anne was not leading him on. She was not playing hard to get. She did things like leave court for over a year to avoid him and to get away from him trying to seduce her. Um, and trying relentlessly to get her to agree to sleep with him. Um, so she, like, removed herself from court, uh, and all of the networking and connection possibilities that that entails and went back to her home in the country um that like you don't leave for over a year if you're just like teasing you know like that's you're trying to get away um and whereas we know jane seymour as uh like this sweet woman who was just so um chaste and godly and um, oh, it's so sad that she died, like, in childbirth, which it is, it is. Um, but it turns out that there is a lot of evidence for the fact that Jane Seymour 
was scheming and plotting and seducing and playing hard to get to uh, get his attention, doing things like sending back all the letters and gifts that he would send her totally unopened, um, like she would be meeting with the people in the court who hated Anne and the people in the court who wanted um, England to be Catholic again because Jane Seymour was extremely Catholic and uh, they were plotting how to get her to be queen and how to get rid of Anne Boleyn. Um, but every documentary you see will be saying the opposite. Um, and like, honestly, in this episode, you're probably going to hear stuff that like contra that goes against what you've heard in a lot of other places. And that is simply because I just finished reading a book with a bunch of new sources and information that uh, has not been as readily available um, before now, um, if at all. So, um, I have strong feelings about Jane Seymour and very few, if any, of them are positive. Um, but her opening line, Jane Seymour, the only one he truly loved, um, that is something that Henry said after she died. Uh, and that is something that he genuinely believed to be true. Um, even though, like, so, uh, welcome back, Holly. Um, sociopaths aren't really capable of actual love, um, and emotions the way that other people feel them. Um, so I don't think that Hen the king loved any of the queens. I don't think that he was capable of it because he was a sociopath. Um, but that said, I think the closest that he came to it was with Catherine and uh, Anne Boleyn, um, Catherine of Aragon. Um, from all accounts, they were really, really happily married for 19 years. Um, and then with uh, Anne Boleyn, they were uh, like power couple and uh, people said that like he was merrier with her than he'd ever been with anyone else, basically. And that they just laughed and joked and um, just seemed like a really happy couple. Um, and uh, so the line, the only one he truly loved, is very definitely not true in multiple ways. But that is what the king himself said after she died. Mostly because uh, she didn't live long enough for him to get sick of her. And because the one thing that he wanted from these women was a son and Jane Seymour gave him one. Uh, so that is what that is about. Um, she did then die um, from complications after childbirth. No one is totally sure what, um, uh, from what, uh, although it's believed to have been like an infection because um, it was like uh, she was okay for a couple days and then she got sick and uh, like within two weeks of the birth she was dead. Um, or within a fortnight, because that's always fun to say. And there are very few uh, chances to say the word fortnight uh, in life. So um, so when my son was newly born, I died. Um, and then there's uh, some fantastic punnage here. Uh, the obvious one is stick around and you'll suddenly see more. Uh, if you're a Broadway nerd, you would know about Little Shop of Horrors. And the song Suddenly Seymour, um, and this is a reference to that, uh, which is hilarious. But one that I only caught recently is the line right before that. She says, but I'm not what I seem or am I? 
and uh, that's funny. <laughs> and uh, like according to Spotify, in 2019, I listened to this album like I think it was like 15 days worth of time, something like that. Um, and I only just caught that, so that's not. I'm cool, and that's not embarrassing. Um, all right. Next is Anna of Cleves, who is a total badass. Um, like, she wins. She wins in every conceivable way that you can look at uh, the situation that all of these women found themselves in. Um, Anna of Cleves wins. She outlived the king by like 10 years. Um, she lived as a very wealthy, independent woman in multiple castles with lots of money and everything um, because uh, when Henry decided he wanted to divorce her, she said, okay. And he was like, really? You're not going to fight me on this? Because he was used to um, Catherine of Aragon, who fought him for over seven years on getting divorced. Um, and instead, uh, Anna of Cleves agreed. And so Henry rewarded her and he gave her lots of money. Um, he gave her the title of the king's sister, um, which is not gross because they never banged. Um, and so, like, she wound up having a really happy life, honestly. Um, and good for her. Um, so, uh, she also definitely never saw Henry's little anything. Um, because, like I said, they never, they never banged. Um, when, uh... I'll get to her later. Um, all right. Next is Catherine Howard. Um, she's the Catherine who lost her head because there are three Catherines. I think there's like a John Green book or something called An Abundance of Catherines. Um, and that, I have not read it, but I assume it's written about uh, these women and their husband. That makes the most sense to me. Um, so... She's the Catherine who lost her head because neither of the other Catherines did. Um, and uh, for her promiscuity outside of wedlock, um, because she... Uh, it's not just having an adulterous affair while married to the king. It was also that um, she had had affairs before marrying him and hadn't disclosed them. And because of that, it became a law that in order to marry the royalty, you had to disclose your entire sexual history. And I believe it is still a law. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. So, um, then there's Catherine Parr, who was a very complicated human. Um, but she saw him to the end of his life. She survived. Um, unfortunately, she died 18 months later. Um, but she did technically survive. So I think it's funny that the rhyme uh, remembers Catherine Parr as the survivor and Anna of Cleves as just divorced when Anna of Cleves lived way, way longer than the other ones. Um, but anyway, um, I'm the survivor, Catherine Parr. Okay. So now we're going to go to the... How do I... Can you get to the next song? Ah. Uh, okay, that works. Oh. So, next is... 
No way. Um, that's the name of the song. No way. I wasn't just saying no way. Um, so this is Catherine of Aragon's song. Um, and, uh, man, Catherine of Aragon is a badass. Um, she was queen for 19 years. She was super loved by the people of England. Um, cause she was a fantastic queen. Um, <clears throat> like I mentioned before, she was married to Arthur, um, originally, um, and that wound up causing, uh, big complications later. Uh, so when, so everyone likes to blame Anne Boleyn for the fact that Catherine of Aragon, uh, went through everything that she went through. But in actuality, um, <clears throat> Henry, the king, was looking uh, to divorce Catherine before he even met Anne, Anne Boleyn. Um, basically, he needed a son. Uh, Catherine had uh, delivered five babies and only one of them had survived, and that was their daughter Mary, um, who later became Bloody Mary because her dad fucked her up. Um, sorry, I'm, I hope it's okay that I just said the F word on her. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, poor Mary was really messed up by her dad and everything that happened. Um, and she had a really miserable life and then she became queen and was a really miserable queen and then had a miserable death. Um, and it's, it's really sad, her story. Um, but uh, Catherine, um, like, she was honestly, like, the way that the first song she said she's the paragon of royalty, like, she was very um, poised and calm, and even with all the crap that her husband was putting her through, she never uh, lost, she never really lost her cool. Um, and uh, that's impressive, considering what she was married to. Uh, so... Let's see. So. I'm running around with some pretty young thing. And even though you've had one son with someone who don't own a wedding ring. So there was a son born before Jane Seymour gave him a son. And it was to one of uh, the royal mistresses named Bessie Blount. Um, she uh, had an affair with the king and wound up giving birth to a son. And, uh, it got complicated because the Henry, the king wasn't sure if this was going to be the only son that he would ever have. And he wanted to acknowledge the son as legitimate, but you can't do that with your mistress's kid. Um, and so he was fighting for it and wound up naming the son Henry Fitzroy, which literally means Henry, son of the king. Um and made him, I think, like a duke as a baby, um, though that wasn't weird at the time. Uh, and yeah, um, he died really young. I think he was 17 when he died um, and never had to um, face the question of whether or not he was legitimate to inherit the throne because he didn't even get a chance to try. Um, and I believe he died of the sweating sickness as well. Uh, so yeah. Um, so that's Henry Fitzroy. Uh, doo -doo -doo. 
So, um, one of the things was that Henry didn't actually want a divorce, or the king didn't actually want a divorce. Uh, he wanted an annulment. Um, because if it was a divorce, he then, under the Catholic rules, could not remarry. And, um, he wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. Uh, so he needed the annulment. And so what he did was, uh, I mentioned that he had been raised to become probably part of the church. So he knew the Bible, like, backwards and forwards, and could quote it. He, like, he was an expert. Like, the Pope actually made him, um, what's it called? Semper Fidelis, I think? He, it was the, um, Defender of the Faith is what his title was, because he wrote again he wrote like a pamphlet against um martin luther and the 99 theses because that happened at this time um i don't know if you remember from uh like junior high history classes uh he went up to a church door and was like hey guys here's what you're doing wrong and uh caused a massive split in the church that we still have today um, Protestants are known as that because they were part of the protests that came from Martin Luther. Um, and yeah, so that's where that's from. Uh, so, and, or, so the king spoke out against him. And uh, yeah, so he knew how to twist the words. He knew how to like use it for what he wanted. And um what he did with Catherine was that he found a verse in Leviticus that said that uh, a man must not marry his brother's wife um, or his brother's widow for he has uncovered his brother's nakedness and they shall be childless. Something along those lines. Um, and uh, so he was like, that's it. That's the problem. I married my brother's wife. And that's why we don't have any kids, um, because he was only counting boys as children, not girls. Um, and uh, that's what he used. And the thing was, though, that that was something that had been brought up back when he first wanted to marry her. And uh, the Pope gave them special permission to get married, even though she'd been married before to um, Arthur. Uh, and so when... Uh, the king wanted to annul their marriage he was going with this like she was married to my brother but then Catherine threw this major plot twist and said except that i didn't sleep with your brother um because they were uh 15 and 17 when they got married i think and arthur wasn't super healthy to begin with even before he caught sweating sickness um i like i feel conflicted about it man because like he, like, he was a 15-year-old boy who married this beautiful Spanish princess, and, like, they didn't bang? Like, that's weird. Um, but at the same time, like, Catherine was so pious and so upstanding and everything. Like, there's, I, I don't think that she would have lied about it. And she swore up and down. She swore in confession multiple times, which she never would have lied in confession. Um, so even though it's weird and I don't understand how that happened, 
I've leaned towards, yeah, that is how it happened. Just because I trust Catherine of Aragon and what she says. Um, so yeah, so that was the basis for the annulment and it was called the King's Great Matter. And, uh, the Pope was brought into it and he was the only one who could say, yes, you guys can have an annulment. And he wound up refusing to do so. And, uh, so that's what the split with the church wound up being in what created Church of England. Like, yes, Anne Boleyn wound up being a factor because she did enter the equation, but she entered the equation like halfway through, basically. Um, so yeah. Uh, and then when it came down to it, like, the Pope was the one who did the, like, actual, like, um, severing blow for the relationship between England and the Catholic Church. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so everyone likes to blame Anne Boleyn. Funny how that works. Uh, so yeah. Um, mm -mm -mm. you thought it'd be funny to send me to a nunnery. Um, I think Catherine would have done great in a nunnery, honestly, because she like went to mass multiple times a day and like was like reading about the life that she lived is intense. Um, so, um, towards the end here she says you've got me down on my knees please tell me what you think I've done wrong um, and that's uh, not metaphorical uh, when uh, ha when the king started demanding their annulment Catherine said uh, that she wanted to have a, a trial in a public court and she wanted to be able to defend herself and so basically what she did was when she was called on to speak she stood up and knelt down in front of Henry and gave this beautiful impassioned speech about how good of a wife she had been and how much they loved each other. And, uh, like, um, and he got all like embarrassed and angry and was like telling her to get up, um, which just made him look like a jerk. Um, and people were talking about it later. Um, it was a big deal. It was a giant scandal. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so what wound up happening to poor Catherine was that um, she refused to uh, agree to the annulment, and so the king decided to try and make her life as miserable as possible, and really succeeded. Uh, he sent her away to live in like a castle far away, uh, away separately from her daughter Mary. Um, they were very close, and uh, Mary was like, I want to say like nine when this happened um and uh they never saw each other again uh which is just so sad and something that mary was still bitter about when she was queen for i mean good reason you know um and so what happened with catherine was um because she just refused to give in uh like she kept on being moved to worse and worse locations um like colder uh castles more run down castles like um and eventually she wound up getting sick um we don't know exactly what people will say that it was probably heart cancer but that's because um they said uh when she died that like in the autopsy they found that her heart was black or something like maybe but also maybe just propaganda you know um she also, she probably just like got sick from living in horrible places um and uh 
man, she really deserved a better, a better life than what she wound up getting. Um, and yeah, and so she, uh, so she, okay. Um, so when she got sent away, uh, Anne Boleyn had already kind of like been moved in as the mistress. Um, and so once she was gone, um, the king had this kind of, um, habit of like out of sight, out of mind and, uh, sending other people to do his dirty work. So once Catherine was gone, like he didn't think about her anymore. Um, like she was gone, done. Um, and he actually married Anne while he was still technically married to Catherine. So for a while there, he was a bigamist. Um, but they were in a big rush because um, after seven years of uh, being together and wanting to get married, uh, they uh, she was refusing to sleep with him. Um, and that's something that lots of people try to say is just like her being manipulative, etc., etc. Um, but she was actually like a really religious person. She was a devoted reformist. Um, she followed Martin Luther. She owned a bunch of illegal books, um, and, uh, was very passionate about it. And, um, like I said, like she wasn't playing hard to get. She actually like left court for a while. Um, and, uh, yeah. So let's see. All right. So her song. It's great. I love the song. I love this musical. But their portrayal of Anne Boleyn. <sighs> We're gonna get to the line. All right. So it opens with, uh, grew up in the French court, oui, oui, bonjour. Um, so when Anne Boleyn was uh, very young, I think she was like nine or 10, um, her, dad wound up getting a position for her to serve in the French, uh, the French court. Um, she served the French queen, uh, the wife of King Francis the first queen Claude, who was the one who like actually was supposed to have the throne, but because of the way things worked and because she was constantly pregnant, um, her husband for all intents and purposes wound up being the one who ran the country. Um, and because she was constantly pregnant, she really didn't need uh, the giant contingency of women uh, with her uh, serving her because uh, in the Tudor uh, times, um, they really wanted to keep uh, any time that someone was pregnant, they would be really isolated from people, especially in the last month. They would spend the entire last month locked up in a tiny room with just like one window cracked open slightly and uh, like super hot, very little air because back then they thought that like the air carried diseases and they thought the pressure was bad. Um, and that's how you spent your last month of pregnancy, which um, I've heard that the last month of pregnancy is the easiest and not at all uncomfortable already, not at all painful already. Um, so like no biggie, right? Being in that situation. Um, but yeah, so the thing with being raised in the French court as opposed to the English court was that, um, the French court raised the women completely differently. 
uh, women in the English court were kind of raised to be submissive and uh, like basically trained just to get married. Um, like their schooling was how to run a house um, and and didn't get that. Instead, she actually got real schooling and she got taught uh, math and history and politics and philosophy and um, was an avid learner and was extremely intelligent. And so when she returned to England, she really, really stood out at court because um, there was a thing called courtly love back then. And it was like a game that everyone played together. Um, it's kind of like if you have your, uh, like your work spouse, um, kind of like that, but your court spouse-ish. Um, and so it was just like being super flirty. Um, you would write beautiful poems to each other and profess your love in front of each other. Um, but it was just playing a game basically, like in front of everyone else at court. Um, and, uh... Yeah, so uh, the women raised in England were um, raised to kind of just be like, oh, ha, 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 and like be like titter, titter and everything while the men were being like all flamboyant and everything. Um, and so when Anne showed up back in England, she was this like um, vivacious woman. Like uh, one of the things about her that is uh, misremembered in history is that she was, by all accounts, not particularly beautiful. She was um, kind of plain looking, um, like, and but the thing was that she had a lot of charisma. She was extremely intelligent. She was a great conversationalist. Um, she was a great flirt. She um, she could debate things like she could debate politics and philosophy, which women at that time couldn't really do in England, um, and. It was unlike anything that the English court was used to uh, from any women. Uh, and so, of course, she caught Henry's eye because she was very singular in the court um, and really had her own mind and wouldn't let uh, any men uh, like tell her what to do, um, which is another reason why I don't think that her dad and uncle were like coaching her. Um, for one thing, Thomas Boleyn, her dad, was extremely successful already like um when in the song it says and soon my daddy said you should try and get ahead uh and that's what most people think most people think thomas Boleyn was trying to coach was poaching her and like uh pardon the expression but like pimping her out um and but really he was extremely successful and he had the ear of the king and he didn't need his daughter to get him any higher because he was about as high as you could get without being like noble born um so yeah so Anne Boleyn was called back to England uh later on the propagandists would say like oh because she was having an affair or this or this or this and um what it really was was uh England and France were just constantly uh, on the brink of war and at that point it was uh particularly bad and so she was called back home to England. Um, and so these lines, I want to dance and sing politics, not my thing. I get mad every time I hear them. Like Anne Boleyn was passionate about politics. She was smart about politics. She 
uh, was very educated about them and very interested in um, constantly learning more and uh, widening her scope of knowledge and um, yeah, like I said, like super unique for the court at that time. Um, and so saying politics not my thing about Anne Boleyn is like saying like history not my thing about me except maybe even worse um so yeah i i get very upset about how they portray her in this musical it's the one thing that i truly dislike about this musical is how they portray Anne Boleyn um they portray her as like a ditzy like ha 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 like i just want to dance and sing um when like you could not get further away from who, who she was and how she was um so yeah so when the king met her um it wasn't like immediate like most of the portrayals in fiction and stuff are like they met eyes uh it's usually at the event um because they would have random like parties and plays and stuff um and like to modern audiences or readers that looks like super frivolous and like oh all they ever did was party but in actuality um back then the parties were when most of the politics would be happening that's when people would be making deals and um mergers and uh, arranging marriages for their children and stuff uh so it wasn't just parties it was actually like a political gathering where they also happened to drink and eat and dance a bunch um so yeah all right so when the king did see her um so most of the fictional portrayals will so show them like locking eyes um at this like uh play that was put on where um the men were dressed up as like the i think it was the men were dressed up as the vices and the women were dressed up as the virtues and like uh the the vices were uh attacking the castle that the virtues were in like this whole thing um and it was like masked and so it was this whole like like the tutors has a really fun portrayal of that event where like they lock eyes and it's super sexy um but uh like they when Anne returned to court it was four years before the king really paid attention to her so like I don't think he was just like biding his time or like I think he just only noticed shiny things and didn't glimpse how shiny she was for a while um but uh yeah and I would also really like to thank this musical for helping me because when I first moved to New York City I had no idea how to pronounce that cafe name um but thanks to Six I know that it is pronounced Pret-a-Manger so thank you Six I really appreciate that because I was having to say I don't know how to pronounce it so I'm just gonna say it as white as humanly possible Pret-a-Manger and that's how people would know what I was talking about but now I can sound like a pretentious uh, French per French speaking person um, but yeah so the king started sending Anne Boleyn um, like if you've ever been like the focus of a narcissist or sociopaths um, interest uh, they will do something called love bombing where they will just 
shower you, flood you, drown you with attention and affection and letters and gifts and flowers and just whatever it takes to get you to fall as hard as possible for them. Um, and it is a very, very common thing with uh, sociopaths and narcissists uh, because they like getting people uh, trapped by their like charm and then ensnared and then they're able to control them. Um, and so the relationship between the two of them in the beginning is very much Anna's being love bombed, um, like, which sounds sexy, but it's not, um, like he was just constantly sending her letters and gifts. Um, she would send the gifts back, uh, but she would reply to the letters um, and try and be like, oh, I'm not worthy of your attention. Like, you should probably find someone who is. And then he would just, yeah. And we don't know exactly what she said because um, after she was murdered by her husband, um, she, uh, like, he went and destroyed everything he could find that had anything to do with her. He wanted to erase her completely from history, from existence. Uh, and so one of the reasons why we have so many misconceptions about her is because we have so little evidence about her uh and that's why i was so excited about the book that i was reading because she really went to the primary sources um and reevaluated them with fresh eyes instead of going along with what we've been told for 500 years um so like i said we don't know what Anne said back but the, the letters that he sent her are in the vatican uh and man it's it's weird because people will like read them and be like oh my gosh look at the romance and like he's so in love with her and really like looking at that it's like no this is just obsession this is a sociopathic obsession with someone um and like looking at the letters i'm like there's no way she feels comfortable getting that like and instead it's looked at as like true romance and him just wooing her and it's very much not the case. So one of the things that the um, book that I just read did uh, was kind of reframe how um, she's perceived to begin with. Um, I'm going to drink some water really fast. Very sneaky. <laughs> Did it work? Ah! <laughs> All right. Serious. Okay. Um. So here's the thing with Anne Boleyn that people don't really uh like know because it's not really widely spoken about is how passionate she was about the Reformation. Um. She. Uh, was very very active in reformist circles um she was very outspoken about the corruption in the catholic church because at the time the catholic church was um ex like if you go to catholic school they kind of like mention this quickly one day in history um but if you actually look further into it it's uh it gets pretty pretty dark um some of the things that they were doing 
um, not necessarily dark, um, but like they were selling what they called indulgences, where if you committed a sin, you could just go to church and give the priest a bunch of money and he'd be like, cool, your sins are forgiven. Um, and so stuff like that. And so that's the stuff that Martin Luther was like, no, that's not how it works. Like you can't just give the priest a bunch of money and then everything's cool. Um, and so Anne Boleyn had a bunch of books that were written by reformists who, um, like the books were illegal. Like if she had been caught with them, she would have been in a lot of trouble. Um, and, uh, so the book that I was reading by Haley Nolan, the 500 years of lies, one of the things that she was trying to figure out was what made Anne change her mind. Um, because she was very, very, um, clear about her disinterest. Um, like I mentioned earlier, she left court for a year. Like, that's not something that you do just to flirt. Um, and what her, um, hypothesis is, is that something made Anne realize, hey, if you accept him, if you become like the queen of England if you become his uh wife like think of all the good that you can do think of the power that you will have that you have to affect change um like an opportunity that most um uh progressives most um people who want to make a big change in the world and really make a difference um would really really love to have the ability to um just uh make as big of a change as someone who, with as much power as a queen can make um and so that is Haley nolan's guess and honestly i've always wondered like why did you change her mind we have no real explanation for that and uh that makes sense to me more than anything else i've ever read like i don't think that all of a sudden like something that he said made her go you know what i am in love with you um so I think that it was, uh, like, I'm, I'm starting to think that it might have been that. Like, that's the explanation that makes the most sense to me so far. Um, so, whereas in the song, she says, you're a nice guy, I'll think about it, maybe, XO baby. Um, so you might see where the misrepresentation comes in and why I have a little bit of a problem with it. Um... So, yeah. Uh, so it says here, I didn't know that I would move in with his missus. So um, Anne was Catherine's, one of Catherine's ladies-in-waiting. Uh, she, um, which must have just been, I can't even imagine how difficult and awkward that must have been um, for both of them. Like, neither of them were winners here. Um, and at one point, like, the king moved Anne into like the official residence so that she was living in the same place as Catherine. Like, and he did that on purpose to make Catherine miserable and to get her to leave. Um, she was just so messed up. Um, but yeah. So, you're living with his wife. What was I meant to do? Okay. So, The next verse is the, if you want to be med wed, make up your mind. Her or me chum don't want to be some girl in a threesome. Are you blind? Um, I 
from everything that I've already told you about Anne, you can see why I have uh, issues with the idea of her saying stuff like that and the stuff that she says later on in the song. Like, she was very smart. She knew, um, she knew how to play the game, basically, like, the political game. Uh, and the only reason that she lost it and then, like, lost her head uh, was because, um, like, basically, the way that I've kind of come to explain it uh, is, like, imagine if all that we knew about, like, the hardcore progressives in the United States today, um, so, like, think, like, AOC, Bernie, Cori Bush, uh, Ilhan Omar, um, like, the squad, Jamal Bowman, all of them, like, imagine if all that we knew in the future, so, like, 500 years in the future, all that we know about them is stuff that was left behind by Mitch McConnell and, uh, Lindsey Graham and everyone who hates them like imagine if all that we knew about them was what those people wrote about them um and then 500 years pass and everyone believes what was written about them by these people that just hate them um that's basically what we have with Anne Boleyn uh Anne Boleyn uh had her own versions of Mitch McConnell and uh they really really worked hard after she was murdered to smear her name and her reputation and make her look like a ditzy, vapid uh, airhead um, who just is like, oh, what? Like, I shouldn't have said that. That's so weird. Um, so one of the things that is really erased about her reign as queen is how much good she did. Like, Anne Boleyn in basically, like, I don't know if I can say invented, but like she basically invented uh, like Medicare for all and free tuition for higher education or education in general. Um, a lot of um, programs to help the poor. Like she was even talking about like universal basic income. Um, she, uh, after the churches, after um, England switched to the Church of England, uh, there were suddenly like all these monasteries that were empty because the monasteries had been dissolved because they weren't Catholic anymore. Um, so she wanted to take all those empty monasteries and she wanted to make them places for the poor. Like she wanted to make them homes and schools and hospitals and stuff. She wanted to make things accessible to people who normally couldn't afford it. Um, and uh, also randomly, she pretty much came up with Bible study too. Which, like, not as we know it today, at the time, the fact that the Bible was in English was brand new and illegal. Like, it was uh, something that she had to sneak around to do. Um, so she started having Bible studies where people would come and study the Bible and for the very first time hear the words of the Bible in a language that they knew because before that it was only Latin. Um, and so it was the first time they were actually hearing the words in a way that they could understand. And so it was the first time that the Bible was made accessible to the common people. And because of that, they didn't have to rely on what the priests were saying it said. So the priest would read something in Latin and then be like, now let me tell you what I just read. And you can trust me. I'm going to tell you what it says. I've got this. Right. And here's how I've interpreted it. So you can trust me. And my interpretation, I'm definitely right. Um, so for the first time, 
people could actually read the words firsthand instead of just hearing the priest's interpretation of it. Um, and this was a huge danger to the power of the church and the control that it had over, um, like, the world. Um, and so Anne Boleyn was a giant threat to that. And uh, people really didn't like that. And so she made some really powerful enemies. As if you follow politics at all, you can probably, like, imagine, like, apply what you've seen happen to progressives today and just take that and apply it to Anne Boleyn. Same thing. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so she did get, she did uh, marry the king. Um, and, like, if you look at the song some like one of the things that supposedly she said is like he doesn't want to bang you somebody hang you uh like there are a lot of accounts of things that Anne Boleyn said um some of those things uh after she was arrested um there was like uh two two different scenarios after her arrest so when she was staying in the tower uh one of them was that she was hysterical. She didn't know why she'd been arrested. She didn't know what had happened. And so she was just going over in her head, like, why could I have been, why could I have possibly been arrested? Maybe it was because I talked to this guy. Maybe it was because I talked to this guy. What? Like, I, I said this? Was it this? And the thing was that, like, um, the women who were her ladies-in-waiting in the tower were not her normal ladies-in-waiting. They were assigned to her by the people who uh, wanted them to spy on her. And so they were then going and reporting everything that she said back to uh, Thomas Cromwell, particularly. He was uh, the asshole who, uh, or uh, like, was the architecture behind Anne Boleyn's death. Uh, he found her a really big danger, um, and things. Uh, the big catalyst for them falling apart, because for a while they worked together, was um, the monasteries. Uh, Cromwell didn't want Anne to be using all of the money from the monasteries for something as ridiculous as helping poor people survive. And I'm sure that you're going to be shocked to find out what he wanted to use it for because this is just not something that happens ever anymore, ever. But he wanted to use the money for war and for, um, you know, uh, army gear and... Uh, navy ships and weapons and stuff. So fortunately we've moved on from that and that never happens anymore. Um, but back then things were crazy. Um, so yeah. Uh, so Cromwell basically went and uh, like dug up everything he could find on her and twisted it around. Um, so the other way that they were getting uh, things to uh, accuse her of so there were there were there was uh, her rambling to herself in the room in front of the ladies in waiting but then there was also like her being questioned and trying to defend herself and trying to be like no I would never like because they wound up uh, accusing her of uh, adultery um, like and it wasn't just with one man it was with five men and one of them was her brother uh and so, like, basically, the people going against her were um, 
getting everything they possibly could. So they were interviewing her ladies-in-waiting. They were threatening them. They were bribing them. They were um, getting every bit of information they possibly could. And then they were also interrogating Anne. And uh, so, like... One of the pop, one of the famous exchanges that you hear that supposedly Anne Boleyn had with uh, one of these men was where she uh, was talking to him about like, oh, why haven't you married my cousin yet? And um, he said something about like just like waiting until the time was right or something. And then she said, uh, you look for dead men's shoes and um, like you would want to marry me basically basically she was saying like you're hoping that the king will die and that you can marry me um thank you crazy hawaiian i really appreciate it i hope you have a wonderful evening um so uh what was i saying <laughs> uh so she, oh, um, so she was talking about like the different men that she like, so she was kind of like defending herself to them. And she was saying things like, uh, um, like, oh, I didn't flirt with anyone. Like I went up to Henry Norris and I told him like, you're waiting for the king to die because you want to marry me. And I told him that's not okay. And they took that and took that and twisted it so that she was flirting with him instead. Um, and that's what people think, like, actually happened. Um, and, uh, and one of the ways that you can really tell that this was all crap was, um, with all of the men that they were kind of, like, looking at, like, all the men that Anne mentioned, the ones that got selected were the ones that Cromwell had personal beef with or who he would benefit if they died or disappeared or whatever. Um... And I don't think that that is a coincidence at all. Um, and on top of that, uh, so there were five men and four of them were noble and you weren't allowed to torture nobility. Um, and so the one man who wasn't noble and was able to be tortured is the only one who confessed um, and admitted guilt. Um, and so I don't think that that's a coincidence and like it was it was really gross torture too from what I've read um, and uh, yeah so basically she was framed is what I'm saying and um, what it came down to was um, Anne was really really pushing some progressive uh, reforms and um, Henry or the king was supporting it um, and he was kind of like, yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. Uh, and I like this idea. And Cromwell did not like that at all. And so he was like, I need to get rid of her as soon as possible before the monasteries are taken and become this thing. And before I lose all this money that I can use. Um, and uh, basically, yeah. So Henry agreeing with her and standing up for her was like the last straw for him. Um, and like... And so all of the information about like uh, Henry plotting and Henry um, wanting to uh, get rid of her and everything, what like I've learned in this book is that just a week before she was arrested, he had written to um, I want to say the Holy Roman Emperor um, about 
like how his beloved wife, like how they hope to have male heirs soon um, and stuff like that. And uh, like, that's not something that you write if you're planning on murdering your wife, you know? And like, apparently the way that it was presented to him, it was like immediate turnaround. Like they did not want him to have a second to be able to change his mind. So like Cromwell kind of like tricked him into calling Cong or uh, parliament back because they were on break. And what he did um, was he went to the king and was like, do you know that it's legal to defend the Pope? Like, that's not a crime. And so the king is like, well, that's not acceptable. And he calls all of Parliament back. And Cromwell's like, sweet. Now they're all here. And so I can, like, throw Anne at them. And 24 hours, she can be dead. Um, and that's not exactly what happened, but it's pretty close. Um, so, yeah. So it all just it happened really quickly. And... Um, and didn't have a single chance and you know that from things like um henry hired a um a swordman from france to kill her instead of an axe uh dude because um axes tended to be dull and tended to need more than one swing uh like there's a story of an old lady who was being executed and the dude missed and so the axe like hit her shoulder and so she jumped up and ran around with the axe stuck in her shoulder and the guy was chasing her like trying to get her back on the scaffolding so he could cut her head off like that's what was going on at the time um and so he sent for a swordsman because the swordsman can do it in one strike for sure and the thing was that the swordsman arrived in time, which meant that he was sent for well before the trial even happened. Um, and so I mentioned how one of the things that she was accused of was incest. Um, she and her brother George were extremely close. Uh, they had a, a very like unusually close relationship for adult siblings in that time. Um, and he was kind of like the one person that she trusted because she was constantly being betrayed by people around her who were either trying to use her or trying to get to Henry or the king. Um, and uh, so, yes, yeah, so they became extremely close uh, over the years and like they'd been close as children as well. And uh, the evidence that they had for the incest, I'm sure you're thinking like, well, they must have had really good evidence if they accused them of incest. Um, so what they had was a letter that Anne had written to her brother George. Uh, and it was saying that she was pregnant. And that's it. They decided, oh, clearly she was telling him about his baby. Not the king's baby. It was his baby. Um, so yeah, so they had a really, really solid evidence against her, clearly. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's this really sad story about this woman who just wanted to make a difference in the world and wanted to help people and wanted to improve the lives of people who really suffered um, under the way things were. Um, and people still think that she was this like seductress witch like the witchcraft wasn't even a charge that she actually had that was added like centuries later like someone was like oh and also witchcraft and people after that were like oh and witchcraft um yeah that wasn't actually one of the accusations uh so yeah um 
so one of the things that they say in the song is wow and way to make the country hate you uh at the beginning of her like time with henry and everything or time with the king and everything like people did really hate her because they loved catherine of aragon and they saw her as like um you know ruining her life which like i can totally see how people would think that um but she really won them over because people started seeing how she was trying to help them and all the good that she was doing um and so after she uh was killed like people were saying how like no one cared and everyone was totally cool with it and no one was mourning and it wasn't that no one was mourning it was that if you were caught mourning you could be killed so people weren't mourning openly um like the rewriting campaign was hardcore um so yeah all right so back to the song um tried to elope but the pope said nope our only hope was henry you got a promotion caused a commotion set in motion the c of e which is the church of england c of e um and so yeah so one of the reasons why she wouldn't sleep with him is because he'd actually had an affair with her older sister um and we don't know for sure that it was her older sister the only reason that we are pretty sure about that <clears throat> is because anne is never mentioned as the oldest daughter and if she was the oldest daughter she would be called that um because this was a time when people didn't like write down when and where their daughters were born uh so we don't actually know um so yeah uh so she was refusing to sleep with him um because she knew that he would just like use and discard like he did with her sister um and like and the irony is that like he was basing his annulment with catherine on the fact that uh she had been with his brother supposedly um uh, the same thing would apply in reverse with him having slept with Anne's sister and that was actually used later to annul his marriage with Anne uh was the fact that he'd slept with her sister even though they'd once again gotten special permission for them to get married um so yeah um so in the song and so yeah uh the pope did wind up excommunicating excommunicating the king um and Anne, i believe um and so that was when it was like all right now we're church of england and um people were happy with it like so the way that i think it happened was i think that Anne, um like she definitely showed Hen showed the king some of her uh illegal books um and kind of like tried to open his eyes toward reformation and protestantism and what i think happened was she was trying to show him like here's all the things that the catholic church is doing wrong and you can really fix it and make it better and what he heard was you can make your own church and be in charge um and so people kind of like blame her on that but i don't i don't think that that was her intent at all um and I also definitely do not believe a single thing mentioned here about her flirting with guys to make him jealous and uh, her teasing him about getting it up. Like, none of that would have happened, ever. She was way too smart for that. Um, the thing about her flirting with other guys, like, I mentioned earlier, like, when every other woman is, like, looking aside shyly and that's their flirting... When she's boldly talking to them and looking them in the face, like, people are looking at her as, like, a wild flirt. Um, and 
yeah so it's just it's it's so unfair anyway um so one of the things that uh i mentioned how the king would kind of be like out of sight out of mind now i don't have to think about it anymore um with both with catherine of aragon and boleyn and catherine howard he never actually said bye to them he basically just said like cool i'm done with you and walked out and that was it they never saw him again um like it was definitely a pattern um and so with um anne and catherine howard that meant that like they couldn't defend themselves to him um like at first he didn't believe it but the people whispering in his ears were like no 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 they totally cheated on you and um eventually he would believe it um so yeah um so anyway that is don't lose your head i'm trying to think if there was anything else i wanted to mention probably a bunch that i'll remember later um all right so now we are doing heart of stone jane seymour i've already ranted about her um and honestly there's not a lot in the song for me to dissect and i've already talked about most of it um uh like one of the things though uh she says you say we're perfect a perfect family you hold us close for the world to see um like and but i know without my son your love could disappear like she's extremely self-aware in this song like and that's extremely true like if she hadn't delivered a son probably same thing would have happened to her that happened to everyone else um and like so people kind of see jane as boring because we don't really know a lot a lot about her um and but one of the things that we do know is that she tried once or twice to bring um religious reform up with the king um although it was in the opposite way she wanted to go back to catholicism which is why there was this whole movement to get her to uh seduce the king is because people wanted the country to go back to catholicism um and uh jane had been a lady-in-waiting to both Catherine and Anne uh, and when she was a lady-in-waiting with Catherine she really saw how Henry treated her um, and then she saw the whole Anne Boleyn thing but she saw it from Queen Catherine's side um, and so she probably had um, a grudge against Anne because when Catherine got sent away she had to give up her uh household like most of her household servants and stuff and jane was one of them so she got sent back to the country and i might have already said that did i ever talk about this no i don't know it doesn't matter um and so uh like going back to the country that was basically it she was old enough that it was like all right now i'm just a spinster and that's my lot in life from now on um and uh like you cannot imagine that she was very happy with Anne Boleyn because of that like she probably blamed Anne um and then Anne was the one who called her to court uh the Tudors had a a very firm policy of not having sex while pregnant um and so when um noble women would be like out of commission as it were um 
like cheating happened and uh, it was extremely common and especially with the courtly love going on and everything um and uh people were constantly throwing uh women that they wanted to use to get to the king um and jane was one of them and she was just extremely successful and uh when she was being thrown at the king this was uh someone for the very first time had succeeded in becoming queen as a commoner and um so she was trying to like run anne's playbook uh but she was doing like sending the letters and the gifts totally both completely unopened and um just like really really playing him expertly um and yeah uh but that's not how people remember her so yeah uh i think that's all i have to say about her I know I spent a long time on Anne, but I did warn you that that, that would happen. So hopefully the rest will be faster. Um, all right. So next is House of Holbein. Um, there's not a whole lot for me to say about this, but um, Hans Holbein was a famous painter at the time who would be sent around the different royal houses and different places to um, paint portraits. And he was known for being extremely lifelike. And um, so when Jane Seymour died in childbirth, uh, Henry spent a couple years moping. Um, and so the, the end of the line for Anne Boleyn came because um, she miscarried a male baby. Um, and it happened because she heard that Henry or that the king had been injured in a jousting tournament. Um, he had a major head injury and a bad leg injury. Uh, he had been unconscious for several hours um, and uh, people were scared for a little while that he might die um, and he didn't have an heir yet. Uh, he had uh, the Princess Mary and then by then Princess Elizabeth, so the future Queen Elizabeth had been born um, and Anne was pregnant again and uh, when she heard about Henry's accident, she uh, apparently, like, panicked so much that it caused a miscarriage. Um, and that was kind of it. Like, after that, she was done. Like, she, like, everyone moved in. Like, she had no more um, security. And uh, so, yeah. So, uh, when Henry was injured... Or when the king was injured. Uh, so the head injury caused a big change because it... The theory is that it affected his frontotemporal lobe. Um, which is where, like, your personality is stored. Um, and your empathy is stored. Um, and uh, if you have some sort of injury there, your personality can change completely. Like, if you've ever heard the story of the guy who got, like, a, a railroad nail, like, through his head and survived, but, like, his personality changed afterwards, that was because it went through that lobe. Um, Gage? Gage. That was his name, Gage. Oh, his name was Gage. Um, so, yeah, so that is firmly what I believe. I believe that 
that head injury caused Henry's personality to shift. But the thing is that a uh, frontotemporal injury won't create a new personality. It will um, amplify what you already have. So it wouldn't have necessarily made the king a sociopath. It would have amplified the sociopathy that was already there. Uh, which honestly like matches because he wasn't like a perfect dude who never did anything wrong or bad ever um, before the head injury. Um, so the other thing that happened was his leg injury uh, and it caused basically like an open wound that never healed. Uh, and like, sorry, this is going to be a little gross. It had to be drained a couple times a day uh, and it apparently smelled really, really, really bad. And one of the effects from this was the fact that uh, Henry, or the king had been super, super uh, athletic before, and he had a huge appetite. Like, I watched a documentary once where someone went and, like, did grocery shopping for what he ate. Like, they went off of, like, a one-day, like, kitchen diary or something and just bought everything and it was like multiple shopping carts full of food um and that was okay when he was like being super athletic but once he got a leg injury and became completely sedentary 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 that's a word that i've never said out loud um he kept eating the same amount and so those pounds got pecked on very quickly and i'm sure that a lot of people um watching or listening to this uh know what that's like after a year and a half of lockdown um like i'm sure that that's affected you uh so like i know that that's affected me because i've had a back injury that's kept me like practically bedridden for a couple years and uh yeah you can't really avoid putting weight on when that happens and like it's something that kind of makes you feel helpless um so he kept eating as much as he had without doing any of the athletics that he had been doing. And when Jane Seymour died and he was moping and whining for two years, like, um, that's when the shift from young hot king to what we picture today happened. Um, so, uh... He, but he didn't really realize that. Like, he still thought he was young and hot. Um, but instead, he was a giant, like, giant in, like, white and tall. Um, old man who, he looked significantly older than he actually was. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, but he still thought that he had it. Um, and so, uh... When Jane died, he was like, oh, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna love again, I'm never gonna marry again, blah, blah, blah. But eventually he kind of had to, and Cromwell went to him and said, hey, you, you need to get married. I can go and find you a bride, but it needs to happen because, like, we need a political alliance. And, uh, because, like, I think there were tensions with France or something going on. And, uh, so they sent Hans Holbein to do some portraits. And, um when he he did uh, Anna of Cleves's portrait and he also did her sister's portrait. And so basically both of them ended up in the king's hands and he wound up like debating between the two of them and eventually settling on Anna. Um, and uh, so there's not really... 
there's not really a lot for me to go through in this um, song. Uh, I definitely recommend looking into um, Tudor Beauty Regimes. Uh, it was all sorts of messed up. Um, like in the song they mention about how they used urine to make their hair shiny and you know all their makeup had lead and yeah just uh, things that long term really really harmed people. Um, but after that is Anna of Cleves' song. Um, so what happened with her was, uh, she was from Germany. She didn't speak any English and she was sent for to marry, um, who she knew was this like gross old man, basically, but, but she didn't really know much about him other than that. And, um, so Henry was like super, super into, uh, courtly love. And one of the games that he loved playing was dressing up as Robin Hood. And he would like burst into the room and would be, you know, in disguise, quote unquote. And everyone would be like, oh no, it's a robber. And then he would dramatically unveil who he was. And everyone would be like, oh, it's the king. Okay. And uh, so he really loved that. Oh, I'm just dropping everything. Um, so when Anna was on her way to meet him, um, she uh, was stopped at like an inn or something, and Henry decided to go and meet her early. And so he rode out to uh, to where she was staying and decided to do the Robin Hood thing. And he thought that if they were truly um, like soulmates if they were truly going to be in love she would just know that it was him like she would feel it in her heart um and so he got to the inn or whatever and burst into the room and like ran over to her and she was just like excuse me and like backed up and like she didn't know that the king would do this kind of thing she'd never heard of this all she knew was that a bunch of strange men had burst into the room and one of them was like yelling and gesturing at her in a foreign language um and so she asked uh, the people to kind of like get rid of him and he was pissed like he was personally offended by this and um and so basically he decided to like well you're ugly anyway and after that, he didn't want her. Um, and it's also speculated that um, between uh, the portrait painting and her arriving in England, um, she might have had smallpox. And so she might have had some facial scarring from that. Um, but really, what it's just that she didn't know about this random thing that he liked to do. Um, it could didn't play along with a game that she didn't know that she was playing um and so when they did get married uh he um was like he tried to get out of it he tried everything he could to get out of it but basically Cromwell told him like we can't cancel this it'll cause a war like everything's been signed everything's been arranged um and so he had to go through with it uh and he was really really mad about it and so on their wedding night basically the next day he said like that he couldn't even do it like he was so disgusted with how ugly she was and like her breasts were like too pendulous so clearly she wasn't a virgin because that's how anatomy works 
and um like and he just wanted out of the marriage like he just wanted out and he was furious with Cromwell he blamed Cromwell entirely he said that Cromwell had messed everything up that Cromwell had lied to him Cromwell had misled him um Cromwell was blamed and because I hate Cromwell because of what he did to Anne Boleyn I say good um and Cromwell wound up being executed for this and uh it was not good he did not get a swordsman from France he got an axe man and he got the kind of axe man that needs multiple tries so you know karma that's what I'll say um but yeah, so what wound up happening with Anna was um, the king basically like uh, propositioned like, let's get divorced. Like, let's just get this annulled because they never had sex. Um, and the ladies in waiting actually asked Anna like about, you know, how it was going. And uh, Anna was very, very sheltered. And so she was like, well, he comes into my room and then he kisses me on the mouth and then we go to sleep and that's that's how it works right and everyone's like no <laughs> not how it works and uh so that annulment happened really easily and really quickly and like i mentioned earlier henry was really expecting a lot more fight from her and the fact that he got none meant that he really really rewarded the crap out of her and uh that is um basically what the song is about and like there's a lot of really fun little nods like uh she talking about she talks about um spilling mead on her dress with the gold lace trim um cloth of gold was a really big deal in tudor england uh, it was cloth that was actually made with gold in it and you had to be like um in order to wear um like a shirt totally made from cloth of gold you had to be like the king um, if you were something with like a lot of like accents, um, trim, you were the princess or something. You like it was like each different level was a uh, another amount of gold, a uh, cloth of gold that you could wear. Um, and so her being able to wear a dress with the gold lace trim is a big deal. Um, also eating pheasant. Um, pheasant was you had to be really fancy in order to eat that. Um, so, um, do to do, and then, yeah, so she's basically singing about how rad her life is, which good, good for you, girl, get it. Um, one of the things was, I think she wasn't allowed to get married again, or she would, like, lose all of it, so she didn't, like, I don't know if she wound up, like, still dating or anything, but she, um, did not, uh, ever actually get married or have any children or anything. Um, and then I think that there was, yeah, um, one of the things that I like in the song that's a fun little, um, uh, nod is if you look at the picture of Anna here, the necklace that she's wearing here, Ooh, I can do it. There it is. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, just look up Anna of Cleves and look at the necklace that she's wearing. Um, in the song she says, um got gold chains symbolic of my faith to the hired power was is a reference directly to that necklace which apparently she wore all the time um her cross necklace um and i love that uh she says i'm a wiener schnitzel not an english flower um 
and then yeah so that's Anna of Cleves uh so one of her ladies in waiting was um uh Catherine Howard um because Henry didn't really like to have to go looking for wives and of Cleves was the first time that he had to do it um Normally he went for the ladies in waiting of the the queen before. Um but uh let's go to Catherine Howard's song. All you wanna do. So start off with a fun little fact. Um I am very distantly related to Catherine Howard. Um I did my genealogy a long time uh, uh, back, and one of the things that I found was that my great time seventeen grandfather was first cousins with Catherine Howard and um, her lover Thomas Culpepper so that's cool I think um, like I said very distantly um, so let's see so um okay for the next two songs I do want to kind of do like a little content warning uh, both of the next queens there's going to be um, child abuse um, uh, some child sexual abuse going on so if that's something that you're very sensitive about um skip ahead please um because i really don't want anyone to be triggered or upset so um uh so catherine howard was uh oh poor thing um she was a teenager and um the other day i like came up with it while i was writing it and i felt really smart um, and funny and I was like she was just a dissy airheaded teenager who was in over her head so she lost it like and yeah I know really good um, so uh, one of the first lines of the song is and ever since I was a child I'd make the boys go wild which is upsetting and accurate um, her first um, let's just say gentleman caller uh was it's believed she was only 13 when it happened and he was 30 um and or no he was 23 um he was 23 i feel like he was actually 30 but it doesn't matter anyway he was significantly older than her and um we don't know for sure like how far things went exactly what they did but we know it was inappropriate and we know it went way too far especially considering the fact that she was a literal child and yes things were different back then but not that different um and the way that this all happened was um she uh her mom died when she was very young and her father kind of like couldn't handle it and so he sent her to live with her step grandmother um who is referenced in the song uh as the dowager duchess which is the first time that i'm aware of that a broadway musical has referenced one of my direct ancestors so that's pretty cool um so <sighs> manix yeah fuck that guy um just like uh, it doesn't matter what they did or didn't do it's messed up and he's a predator done um and unfortunately the same thing applies to the next guy, Francis Steerum, uh, who, from all contemporary accounts, was a jerk and uh, abusive piece of shit. Um, he, uh, like, in the line, like, the, the second line about him is, gets what he wants and he won't take no. Like, 
done. Like, that's what you need. That's all you really need to know. That's who he was. And from all accounts, that's very accurate as to who he was. Um, and so, yeah, sexy secretary to the Dowager Duchess. That's my ancestor. Cool. Um, and uh, so the thing is that with the two of them, it is um, suspected that they um, kind of confirmed that they were basically living together as husband and wife. They actually called each other husband and wife, even if it wasn't technically legal. Um, they were like promised to each other, which at the time was as serious as actually being married. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so apparently like he would sneak into her room at night, um, and like she lived in kind of like a dorm room with like a bunch of beds and like a big hall and like they would all have like late night parties where men would be sneaking in and they'd be drinking and having picnics and stuff and it all kind of sounds fun, but also extremely irresponsible and bad. So, um, but yeah, so the song is just full of as many, uh, sexual innuendos as humanly possible. Um, and like I said, Francis Durham was apparently like a pretty crappy dude. Um, so he's another one where like, you can't really feel too bad about his fate. Um, so the next one. Um, oh, and then the reason that it things ended with Durham is because uh, Mannix wrote a letter to her step-grandmother, like, basically, like, snitching on them. Um, and so uh, the her step-grandmother, like, freaked out and sent her away, and so she wound up being a lady-in-waiting for uh, Jane Seymour. Um, so uh, the next part is uh, she meets Henry VIII. So at this point, Henry is 49 years old and Catherine of Howard, we don't know exactly because again, no one wrote down when they had their daughters, but um, it's believed that she was 17. Um, and he calls her his rose without a thorn and just like, just doted on her and spoiled her to the point where like, his friends around him would get uncomfortable and they'd be like dude like stop petting her that's weird um and like she didn't she seemed to go along with it like um she kept him really really happy with her and until uh he found out that she had been cheating on him um and with the uh, thomas culpepper and who worked for him so that's cool. Um, in the in the show, they say he's the uh, da, da. Thomas is here to lend a helping hand. This one courtier. Uh, oh, I guess it doesn't say exactly what he does, but I think he's um he works in the privy chamber for the king, um which is like a huge honor at the time, um. And so it's not really known for sure whether or not they actually fully had sex. Uh, the, uh, when Thomas Culpepper was tortured, he said that they hadn't, but that they wanted to. And unfortunately for him, uh, admitting wanting to commit treason was just as much as committing treason at the time. Um, and so um, Henry uh, or uh, Thomas Culpepper and Mannix and I think there's another guy also who gets um I 
No, Durham is executed. I don't think Mannix is executed. But either way, a bunch of people get executed, including her. Um, and, like, there's this whole thing about, like, how her last words were that she dies a queen but would rather die the wife of a Culpepper. Which, no, she didn't say that. Um, she, uh, like, she was a child. And you got you kind of feel bad for her. Like, the night before she was executed... Um, she asked for the executioner's block to come up to her room so that she could practice putting her head down on it because she didn't want to mess it up because it would be the last thing that she did. Um, and yeah, she was just like, like, I don't know. She just reminds me of so many ditzy girls I've known in my life, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, she didn't get a swordsman either, um, but I don't think any mishaps happened. Uh, and then, um, interestingly, uh, her, um, uh, one of her ladies in waiting was executed with her and the lady was Lady Rochford, um, who had been married to George Boleyn and her testimony against George and Anne was actually like, uh, what wound up helping really convict them about the whole incest thing. And obviously it's believed that they made that she made it up and didn't actually happen. Um, she was angry and bitter and like they didn't have a very good marriage. Um, and she wound up going crazy with guilt, um, literally going crazy. Like when she was in the tower waiting for her trial, like she um, had a full mental breakdown. Um, and the king actually got the law changed so that he could still execute her because it was illegal to execute um mentally ill people at the time and so he got that law changed so he could execute her um and yeah so uh that's poor Catherine Howard and uh in the Victorian era they were doing renovations of the chapel in the tower uh where both Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard were buried and uh they found Anne's body um like she was not very respected after she died. Like, she basically, like, when she, her head was cut off, they, one of her ladies-in-waiting, like, caught it, wrapped it up. Um, they didn't even have a coffin for her. They just threw her body, they stripped her body and threw it in a trunk, and then they buried that trunk in the church. Um, and so they found her body. Uh, they never found Catherine Howard's body, and it's believed that because she was so young that the bones had, like, fully just disappeared. Um, and, uh, we probably won't be able to get to see it again anytime soon because the royals have to give permission and they tend to not give permission for exhuming other royal bodies because that is setting a precedent. Um, so yeah, so that's poor Catherine Howard. Um, so we're almost done guys. Two more songs. I don't need your love. This is Catherine Parr. So the song is written, as, like the first half of it is a letter and she's actually writing this letter to uh, Thomas Seymour, who is Jane Seymour's brother. Um, Catherine Parr and Thomas Seymour were in love. Um, if you've ever heard uh, the song, I'm Henry VIII, I Am, uh, the widow that he marries next door, that's Catherine Parr. Um, she'd been married twice before, not seven times before. Um, and, uh, like, she and Thomas, uh, Seymour were planning on getting married until 
the king decided that he wanted her and you really can't say no like you don't have a choice like most of these women did not want him and they didn't have a choice in the matter um so let's see um, I'm a final wife. Okay, so they kind of break down like her feminism stuff, and she was definitely like super uh, progressive um, in terms of feminism. Um, she published multiple books at a time where women did not publish books under their own name if they published them at all. Um, and uh, especially not queens. Like she waited until the king was dead until she did that um she actually like almost got in trouble because she was um another very um ardent uh re reformist uh and had some illegal books um but this time like it wasn't really cool to have those like it was with Anne Boleyn because of everything that had happened with Anne Boleyn um and so she was found out by some people in court who really didn't like her and so what she did was she ran to the king and like, um, like they had an argument a couple days before because she was trying to convince him about some changes that should be made. And so she ran to him and like basically like convinced him that uh, she was just like a feeble woman and like women don't really know what they're talking about. And she just wanted to like provide a counter argument to him because he knows what's really right and wrong and what's really going on. And so she only like defers to him and he totally bought it. Um, and so when the people came to snitch on her, he yelled at the snitches instead. Uh, so she was definitely really smart. Um, so she definitely also fought for female education. The line about getting a woman to paint her picture is questionable. There was a woman employed as a painter in the castle, but we don't know for sure that her painting was done by her. Um, so that's just kind of like a guess on their part. Um, let's see. So I really like the... Um, because uh, in history or his story, I'm fixed as one of six and without him, I disappear. We all disappear. And that's just like the self-awareness of like the only reason that like people know who I am is because of my connection to him. And so that's why I've been trying really hard to like talk about like their stories and stuff. Because um, they're all really, really fascinating stories. Um, and they don't deserve to just disappear. Um let's see so yeah basically the uh end of the song is like singing about how they really don't need his love and stuff and it's a good song um okay last song six um so there's not a lot to be going on for this one because most of the song is like their fantasy of what they would do instead of marrying him if they had the chance so like Catherine of Aragon would uh say no way and move to a nunnery um which she probably would have been like really happy as a nun honestly um and then Anne Boleyn uh puts the poem the green sleeves poem uh to a sick beat um and another thing that bothers me here is that it says that she's writing lyrics for Shake CP <sighs> so if you're a Shakespeare nerd you know that uh one of like a 
the big factors in like the history of Shakespeare is the fact that Queen Elizabeth who was much older at the time was in charge and like one of his um, benefactors and stuff uh, Anne Boleyn even if she hadn't been executed would not have let lived that long at all like I think Shakespeare was born like she would have been 50 or 60 something like that um, but anyway uh, Jane Seymour like Jane Seymour is the only one who doesn't say that she would say no to him like it seems like she's just kind of imagining having more time with him which why would you want more time with Henry um, but yeah uh, so Anna of Cleves kind of has the same life uh, do 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 Catherine Howard just turning down all the boys um and yeah um I one of the things that I really love is how the song has a countdown in it um the um like the four um uh we're one of a kind no category so one too many years two free is three we're free to take our crowning glory and then four or five more minutes so four or five um, and it's like a countdown to like the end of the song and the end of the show. Um, and I think that's just like a really fun little thing. Uh, if you've ever heard of the show Matilda, they have something called the school song where they had the alphabet in the song. Um, and I'm a really big fan of that. But, uh, yeah, so that is the musical six. Um, I hope that it was interesting and not boring. <laughs> I know I rambled a lot. Um, but uh, we are going to be seeing it on Saturday, so I will probably be doing a follow-up a week from today about um, the show and anything that I kind of like forgot to mention, anything that like I think might be interesting. Um, and then after that, I'm kind of thinking of just having live streams where like I'll have like a start-off topic, but then kind of like see where it goes and um, have people like you guys can have comments, questions, whatever, and kind of steer the discussion um so yeah so we'll see so if you can follow the facebook page um okay so uh the url is at okay so nyc that's also the instagram uh handle uh the twitter handle although i don't really use twitter that much i need to work on that um and yeah uh so i hope you enjoy i hope that you uh, go back and listen to some of the other episodes. Um, the other episode about the first three queens, I, re I recorded that years and years and years ago, and I honestly don't remember a lot of what I said. And I know that a lot of what I said now contradicts then because I got more information and new information. Um, but yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed, and I hope you have a wonderful night. And uh, I hope you come back and... Uh, we can have fun history discussions and conversations and stuff. So, yeah. Thank you, everyone. I'm going to... Uh, can we do a raid? I don't know. I need how. to figure out how to do that. I don't know. Can't do it from here. You can't do it from there? Okay. That's something that I'll have to figure out. Thank you, Joe. Um, I hope... Like I said, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um... And, uh, yeah, you guys have a good night, and hopefully see you next week.